0: It's good. We're good. Good morning. Welcome back to the pod. We have a special, special guest with us today Arthur Kwan Lee. Artist Arthur Kwan Lee. Welcome to the pod, brother.
1: brother. Appreciate you, Matt.
0: Yeah, um, I found Arthur on Instagram, and he has an extremely interesting story to tell. He was a New York City artist and arguably the most canceled artist in America. And we'll get to all that, but kind of just want to lay the groundwork here. Sure.
1: Yeah. The the most uh, banned fine artist in the game, which is a (laughs) weird thing to be. yeah.
0: And it's interesting because you are Korean American Mm -hmm. and being an artist and being Korean American doesn't really go hand in hand. It's
1: rare. How did you get into art? So a little a little um synopsis that I've shared is that my father he's a pastor. So he's a senior pastor in Oakton, Virginia. And my mother she's a composer. So classical level. So I got all my artistry more from my mother cuz she was always into classics, art, give me different books. But if when you look at my art I'm sort of like a visual fusion of them. Mm. You know, because I'm excavating like archetypal themes about man, like with my brush. So I was always like brought up under like a, you know, right brained sort of framework in my household. Like even when you look at my brother and sister, we kind of had that same temperament. But I think with me is that like they say you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. I think I just had one egg. (laughs) That's that's, that's the first thing, (laughs) like straight up, you know, like I never was going to government school. I was basically good at martial arts, fighting, kicking ass. And then I was, while I was doing this Taekwondo and wrestling in high school and Judo and all this, I was painting by myself. Hmm. So that was kind of my cathartic place. And that's kind of how that sort of medium began to get fed. And and I thought about this often, like, why was I into martial arts and visual arts, you know, and it's because they're so individual. And I think that's the attraction I had to it. And that's sort of like the psychological temperament behind why I got into painting. You know, um trying to be a Ronin. <laughs> because it's not it's like a weird paradox, right?
0: You're a, a very fit. I'm a bad very Korean guy. I'm a bad Korean. Right. You're not a small Asian at all. Mm. And you were into martial arts, and all of a sudden you're also into art and fine art and painting. And it doesn't seem like something that would typically mesh together.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, everyone has a stereotype of Korean Americans for a reason, right? What is it? What is it? A doctor, lawyer, programmer, engineer? It's those four, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I just I couldn't get in, into any of that, but I will tell you, I don't know what it was, but it must have been the I was imprinted this way. Like before, I can have the cognizance of what this was. I don't know what it was, but since I was a kid, I've always cared deeply about the moral state of a society. Mm. I don't know what that was. So I always wanted to like play out this heroic archetype. Like, why do I want to go on a mat and fight somebody and slay a dragon in my mind? Seriously. And why do I want to literally paint like Genghis Khan and like Miyamoto Musashi and all these sort of figures? I don't know. I was, I was sort of born with this like fire element in my belly so I, I always had this predilection um, but that's sort of the backdrop behind why I delved into this uh, visual and martial art it definitely is atypical for sure I mean most of my cousins you know there's a the top surgeon and professor at Harvard this one like seriously like all these certain people and here I am like this guy working with paint pigments on a canvas you know how supportive were your parents when you said, "Hey, mom, dad,
0: I'm gonna become an artist. I'm gonna become a starving artist." <laughs> oh, <laughs> what man. was that conversation I, like? How supportive artist, man? <laughs> how supportive were they of you?
1: Um, they, they were, uh, you know, they're like they're immigrants, but technically they're in that boomer generation. So boomers tend to have this, do whatever you want as long as you do your best streak. But they're still very Korean, so they basically told me like, "Listen, if you're gonna get into art," get into art education, and maybe look into art history, right? Because then you can always become a professor, an educator, something reputable, like the community will respect mm-hmm. you. So I actually went to GW to study art history. So I was in, you know, this program, and, and don't get me wrong, like I love art history. Like this is something I can excavate with you actually deeply. But I was, you know, my heart was with painting. So I'm here in an art history program at GW, but all the painting awards I was getting in the school from the kids concentrating in painting. Mm. And I'm like, I think this is the universe telling me. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And eventually I I changed the majors and I just focused on my painting. And um, my parents realized he's going to do whatever he wants to do anyways. Mm. So it was was sort of that. It wasn't even like, you know, they're going to support me because I'm I'm their son, that Mm. sort of thing. But they they advised against it quite a bit. And I understand because monetizing creativity is incredibly difficult. I That'd totally easy. understand. But again, for me, it was always like a mission. Like I like being a, a person with a purpose. Like that's always what it's been for me. Like even even like when I was like 16, I used to tell myself things. I used to write like goals over girls. Like <laughs> I, was, I was like always into this idea of like how can I like, you know, be like a warrior in the culture, right? And and rather and the martial art was definitely a component of it because I, you know, if you if you get good at anything as a kid, they want to support that, right? And it gives you some confirmation. But I'm kind of a warrior in the rumble of ideas with my brush now, you know. So I'm, I always played with that.
0: Usually, when people choose the path less taken, there is a chip on their shoulder that pushes them to choose that path. What do you think your chip on your shoulder was?
1: Mm. Um, I'm saying this in retrospect, obviously. I would not have been able to articulate this as a kid, right? I think all of our major institutions, they want to penalize boys for wanting to develop a honorable sense of masculinity and strength think about everything I just described right it's this warrior energy mm. it's like standing between the Mongols and those you love right I'm like what is that and yeah th- that's the line there I always wanted to stand on that line because everything I did growing up was always you know uh, I you know I, I believe we my generation Millennials we grew up in a gynocentric society to be frank. And that's the best I can articulate it. Actually, I think it's just feminism has ran so rampant. We're basically, uh, you know, it's just misandry at this point. And I would say that's a chip on the shoulder. Mm. You know, it's like, the hell is this?
0: Through your art, what do you think you're? What do you think you're trying to prove? Because as an art, you have a expression that you want to put out there. What do you want people to gain from your art?
1: Mm, so, so uh, look, that's evolved, Matt. Um, well, where did you start, and where do you think you are now? It, it, it started with me just, again, government schooling. It's a very matriarchal system. I love that you say government schooling, by the way. It's, it is, <laughs> it is, right? You got to understand, like, you know, um, wh- when the state is proliferated, it's under the spirit of the matriarchy. It just is, because whenever a society is patriarchal, you notice that religious order is the main substrate. So what happens is that, you know, government schooling, <laughs> I was always just like feeling like I, I don't belong here. I got to find my own way. And um, at first, my journey into being an artist was like kind of like personal therapy in a way. Like, let me go to this this space where I can control my world and create my world and get better at something. The most important component of discipline, like actually improve and... and um reap those benefits personally for me. That's what it started as. That's what all of it starts at for all of us. We're just trying to be expressive and get that catharsis. But then, you know, a cardinal lesson for all art, regardless of any medium, dancing, comedy, poetry, painting, doesn't matter, is that you need to learn the rules to break the rules. So I was developing the skill set and technique and I realized now I can tell a story. I can imply certain imagery or symbolism and put that out into the ethos. And I realized right there, okay, this is an opportunity and it's, it's, a, it's a powerful form of influence, right? It can move people. Um, so that's when I started to look at more philosophical content. So it's funny when people will often be like, you know, who are the artists that really influence you heavily, Arthur? I'll be like, I mean, I can name like Gustav Klim, John Mitchell, Dali, great, but it's more writers. Hmm. It's more people on the contextual side than formalism actually. And those people really move my art, so I wanted to sort of like be like a, like this is this is me talking for, you know, seventeen year old Arthur. I wanted to be like a weird like philo- philosopher warrior with my brush. I don't know what it was. Maybe watching too much Dragon Ball. But I wanted to sort of be that guy. Um, I I dived into archetypes. Uh, I was looking at a lot of Carl Young during mm-hmm. my undergrad, and the archetypal language was so fascinating to me because it showed me that existence and, and our relationship to this, to to our lives is not all material. You know, there's latent patterns in our mind that are universal. And I started to get into the archetypal imagery. So I started painting like certain themes. That's what, that, that was my, my dive. But then, again, I'm doing a long-winded rant about this, right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, as I'm getting into the archetypes, I'm like, okay, so one of the functions of studying the archetypes and studying the myths and the narratives that we're possessed by is overemphasizing that which has been under other, underemphasized as a sort of correction so that I got into masculine archetypes. Because I've noticed that everything in our culture, the dominant narrative, castigates masculinity. You know? That's something I noticed. Like, you just put out a reel about Tate. Mm. Andrew Tate, Donald Trump, in one way or another, yay as well. Everyone who is unapologetically canceled in the public square. They represent masculinity in one shape or another. And that's what I realized. So I felt that nerve. So I was just, and then my paintings became about masculinity. And then getting into masculinity, diving into the art history of masculine art, it's all been Christianity. Mm. It's all been Christian imagery. And I'm like, you know, this has been, um, so now where I'm at with my evolution is the message is that Christ is king. That is now where I'm at. But getting there was, very pagan, <laughs> you know, it was, it wasn't the holiest way to get there. But, um, but now I see it. I mean, Korean American artist
0: is already a paradox on its own. And you're an extremely masculine male, likes fitness, likes working out, likes mar- martial arts. And that in itself is also a paradox with artist. Typically when you think artists, you're not thinking, Oh, this guy's going to bench like 300 pounds. Mm. <laughs> it's not something that comes to your mind. That's light, brother. You know, <laughs> whatever you're doing, all right? You, you beast. All right? Whatever you're doing. Mm. It's not typically what people envision in their minds. What is that like just even breaking those basic not even about race, breaking those stereotypes of masculinity versus artist.
1: Mm. Yeah, you know, that's that's a good point. You know, there is there is a conception of artist as like long-haired feminine mm. in my feelings no discipline that's true and also you know well what i'll say is erratic erratic chaotic chaotic yes um introverted well there's truth in that mm. there's truth in that and, and you need to i guess what i'm saying is that like there that that is a valid point because the whole point of trying to make like you know, they call in the finite world transcendental art. The whole point is you're trying to, you're either communicating with the unconscious or something higher than you, and you're trying to animate that, right? And you can't really do that in a static square state, you know? Um, so you it is a it is a very open state, you know? And, you know, Peterson talks about that also was going to imply trait liberalism if you're so open. And that is a challenge that conservatives have when it comes to producing high art. But I would say what anchors you in that realm, because whether it's psychedelics, whether it's Kundalini, like I went through a weird psychonaut phase, what anchors all of that is having incredible discipline in your craft. Mm. So your discipline needs to be that much stronger. In a way, if you want to be like a, I don't know, I don't don't want to say a conservative artist, but if you want to be an artist who cares about order, um, Without looking like a, I don't know, like a hippie or something of that sort, you, your discipline needs to be that much stronger. Mm. So I just double down on the discipline. That's the first thing. And to address the first part is yeah, I mean, it is strange. Um, I don't meet a lot of, I don't meet a lot of Koreans like me, and I don't think it's because we're not there. I think it's because, um, we're told correctly. So you know, um, you know what is life like? The two things that matter growing up, what you do for work, income. Significant other, right? Mm. So fair enough. They're, they're solving this 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 equation. But um, usually Koreans are told to practice violin, painting, whatever it is, to have a rich life. Mm. But don't make this your career. This is something you do when you go back home. And that's beautiful. There's pride in that. I would tell my kids the same. I just knew that I'm never going to fit in. I can never be in an office. I can never be in a cubicle. I can never... like. I can't see myself working for anyone either. I'm just, uh, I don't know. I'm um, I'm I'm a bad Asian by every metric. <laughs> like like Korean, you know. What is this? You know, it's funny because um, uh, me and my uh, Korean friends, I I knew a couple of them were artists as well. Like we kind of got together in the DMV area, and we used to be like, yeah, we're Koreans gone bad, you know. But <laughs> but but, but is that a T-shirt, <laughs> <laughs> no, Did no, I no, buy that somewhere, <laughs> no, no. But 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 it's it, there's truth in that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I mean, look. Most of my family, extended family, my nuclear family ended up saying, all right, you know, Arthur's on it. Let him do his thing. He'll figure it out. He's got the, he's carrying the martial art discipline to his art. He'll be okay. I was like, awesome. Cause I have a lot of medals and trophies from that mm-hmm. game as well. So they're recognizing he's going to go for it. But my extended family were like, oh, he's going to be the weird one in our family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> well whatever. I won't get invited to all the dinners. <laughs> So
0: in 2020, you were named Artist of the Year. You were an Artist of the Year. And then fast forward just six months later, and they were blackballing you Mm -hmm. within the art studios. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that journey, kind of the rise and
1: what happened
0: that all of a sudden they were all saying no.
1: Yeah. So, so the reason why I even talk about this, let me make that clear, is because it's a very, it demonstrates a very significant case study of the culture mm. and what happens when a person of, and this is for a large, broad section of, you know, the country with these types of values works in an industry that has been contaminated by the bulk virus. So that's why I, like, I don't Again, I was telling you that anyone who acts like a victim is a loser. Mm. So I don't ever like make this a, like, a really important talking point, but it, it's important in that regard. I don't think anyone sees you as a victim. I think it's more
0: learning from yes. your experience mm-hmm. to see that when they're faced with a similar experience, how they should handle it. And number two, that they are not alone. And I think that's the most important part because we all 100%. go through our cancellation for our beliefs is to let people know that they are not alone in their struggle and their hardship. Uh, that they have a community of people that they can look towards to.
1: Yeah, that that's you said it better than I. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um so look when I was in DC, I had an art student Adams Morgan. And that's where I was working out of uh, starving out his face. You know, starving artists just hustling and broke, man. Just just getting by and, and um being very undateable in the sexual market because of my income. <laughs> Straight up. You know, yeah. makes sense. And, and and I was like, all right, this is rough, man. It's no like, one wants to dig the brokey. No, of course not, <laughs> man. And, and, and I was just like, um, but you know, again, I was still like jacked enough where like I can like not mention it. Yeah. <laughs> but but um yeah, just 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 coasting in that regard. And you know, I think I shared with you that um I got an opportunity to teach art. Because I was like, this may not be it. Like, what, what am I doing? You know? And, uh, and you make money. Yeah. One of, one of the top private schools in the country invited me to teach painting. Mm. And I did it for a year. And I didn't like it. And it was good pay, good benefits. And you got to understand, before that, Brokey. Yeah. So I'm in this position. My parents are proud of me because education, and you know, I I have, to, I have to go in, and believe it or not, I have to go in in a suit. Someday, you uh, know, what I'm saying it's like no way. You know, I'm wearing yeah. a Donald Trump signature sweater <laughs> now. I'm free, man. Yeah. But uh, I was going in. I was going in this way, and and I was like, I'm making more money at that age too. And I'm paying. I'll bring my debt. um Early twenties, yeah. Oh, I'm not a numbers guy, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I, but I was making good enough money to pay off my debt and, and, you know, um, got this nice car. It was cool. And then I was at this point where, um, I was like, I don't like this. And, uh, I told my father, I'm like, I think I'm going to quit. <laughs> and then he's like, what are you talking about? And in his Koreanness, you know, he's like, he's like, like, this is, um, you know, this could be an opportunity you lose you know they're they're very conservative people yeah. thinking very in a preservation oriented mindset and looking out for your best interest 100% and then i said no teaching art is very different from making art and, and i want to be an artist um so like an american woman who discovered only fans went back out into the streets <laughs> <laughs> and then i was just like all right where what am i going to do here and um look god willing uh, there's a residency internationally recognized called the Eileen Kaminsky Family Foundation. Okay. It's very competitive. And I submitted my work and they accepted me. I'm like, this is an opportunity of exposure with actual art dealers. So I go to the program. All the other artists are old. I didn't know this at the time, but to um, toot my horn here, um, go this, for is, this is a program for veterans, like OGs, older artists. Like you've been in the game, you've had your shows and now you get to be in this program. And I'm sitting at this table. I'm like, wow, this yeah. is an honor. And the collector, she just really liked my work. She said she saw something and uh, her collection, this is kind of the bias as to why it was probably accepted, was stylistically very similar to what I was producing. So she was always looking for somebody who might be going branching into this voice that she believes is an important style in the game. So it was great during, during this program. There's always dealers coming by to look at like who we might want to sign to stand the other. Um, and then I got like six people who were interested hmm. and that was a big deal for me. So at this point I was like, I'm, I'm so glad I went through with this um, and I was getting solo shows, you know, usually the way the art game works just to, Yeah, I have no idea how art works. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Let let me give a little context very quickly and I'll I'll, I'll circle back to this is that imagine a a three-tier pyramid, okay? Most artists are at the bottom. They're just struggling. They're baristas. They're getting by. They're selling whenever they can, but they ain't making anything, okay? The middle is sort of like like the Wild West. You can do your group shows. You can do your pop-up shows. It's hit or miss, but you get to the higher end of that, you can do pretty well, you know, because you can still be working with like certain good galleries, you know, uh, the top, the top is a totally different domain. It's the top of the art world is really just six galleries. It's just six galleries. It's like, if you're looking at the NBA, you see what I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, way more dishonorable. It's just a financial instrument to money launder and tax. Evade. Yeah. That's why Hunter Biden is working with George Brugge right now. Right. So uh, actual success based on the art and skill for people who care about art it's being at the high end of the, of the middle tier, so that's where I was kind of floating. I'm showing my R&R basil. I'm working with these different dealers. I was getting a solo maybe once every two to three months, which is really good average because if you get a show like twice a year, and you sell maybe two thirds of everything for both, like individually, that's that's good. And I was getting like six shows, seven, eight shows a year, um, so I was very thankful at that stage you know a little high and just for context what is a painting going for at that time at that time um you know like a depends on the this art pricing when you talk to an appraiser it's going to be based on track record reputation scale and complexity those are the four factors um at that time when i started maybe like you know a 32 by 32 eight to ten thousand so if i'm selling like Twelve of those, <sighs> you know, what I'm saying. But they take fifty percent. By the way, okay, really? Yeah, galleries take fifty percent. That's a lot. People don't understand. By the way, so like, anytime <laughs> you see the price point of it, the artist takes up to thirty to fifty percent of it, depending on the the reputation wow. of the gallery. Yeah, but but let's say you're showing in like Gagosian. Gagosian sells a, you know, it's like let's say I was selling at this decent gallery for like fifty k. The moment you sell at Gagosian, you add another zero there. Hmm. You know what I'm getting at yeah, yeah. yeah, but that's so the, the gallery adds. But value that's the financial in instrumenting that's mm. going on yeah. that nobody wants to talk about. But because I'm ostracized, I don't care. I'll talk about it. So I was working with six pretty good galleries, um, showing in Making good Art money. Basel. Yeah, be- better than even the the private school position that yeah. uh, that all these teachers fought for too. Um, and I'm in this place where I'm like, this is awesome. But as you get deeper with these people, and as they give you more exposure you realize that you're spending a lot of time with these people and the art world is actually very small. And we're talking about New York City. So this all sounds like a kumbaya moment. So I hope to hate to break it up. But, you know, essentially I was in social camouflage though because the art was winning people over and we're making mutual benefit financially from it. But man, they were so woke. And it was to the point where I have like dozens of stories where people say, what's the thing that caused the cancellation? It's not one thing. It's like when you hear um, couples getting divorced, you say, what was the thing? It's no, it was like beta through a thousand concessions. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah. It was like a bunch of things that happened that caused me to destroy the relationship with these dealers. But when I say they're so woke, I mean like what is one gallery in Lower East Side? Hey, all six of the artists I work with, we're going to go to the Black Lives Matter rally to, to consolidate. Like, why? Like, there's a lot, of, you spend a lot of time with these people. People only look at, oh, there's a storefront, your art, your name on the, ga- on the glass, and then you, you just selling it. They don't understand all the social context behind the New York City art industry. And I was just dealing with really, like, degenerate woke people um, that are making money. A lot of money. Yeah, so understand that, like, the money can be here, but the values were really bad, man. So, essentially, I got to this point where I started to push back, like, like just like when I was a kid, pushing back in the classroom. Just couldn't shut up. I huh? couldn't shut up, man. <laughs> I, I, will, I, you know, I, I, believe you can be unapologetic, but you don't have to be rude, right? But I'm, I am unapologetic. So I'm sitting in this room. Uh, I'll give you a good story. This is a story that uh, post millennial. Uh, wrote about me. Okay. Um, so I'm sitting at this wood fire oven pizza place. <laughs> oh man! And then this this uh, woman, she's the director of the gallery, and she has a bunch of her artists. She rented the space. So we can all sit in this big table set up, rented out for us. And this is the month of Stop Asian Hate Month. Mm. Okay. So she's like Arthur. You know, I'm thinking, <laughs> check this out. This is this is this is one of the the moments where I was like, all right. This bridge is burned. Yeah. She goes, you know, I'm thinking you work with Sarah here because she's our BLM advocate artist. Right? So BLM meets Stop Asian Hate Month coming up. So we can have like this union. Right? Of like, we're coming together to smash the patriarchy. And it's like, I'm like, wow, where did you learn this language? Right? And I'm used to just kind of, again, social camouflage, keeping my mouth shut, mm -hmm, keeping up with the Joneses. But at this point, I sort of decided in me that I'm 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 I don't care what happens. You know, I'm just gonna fly solo. Whatever the fuck happens, I'm just gonna be real. And she says, What do you think about that? And I said, I don't wanna say her name. I said, you know, I think it's really odd that blacks assaulting Asians based on race is white supremacy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 the you can hear you can hear yeah. the silence, you know. And then you, I heard the fork, ting ting, and then you gotta say, I'm I'm she's here. Uh, I was on this side, but but the the girls here, right? The one I'm supposed to work with, right between. next to you? No 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 no. Um, across, but like you know, yeah. Next to uh, across the person that I was across, right? Next to the person I was across, and then she goes, "All well, what do you think about Black Lives Matter?" And she said that. It's the way she said it. She said it like checkmate. Yeah. Well, what do you think about this? You can't say anything about our sacred cow. Yeah. Right. And gotcha. Yeah. And, and and at this at that moment right there, I decided fuck all these people. Yeah. Because I just felt so uncomfortable that I said I don't even care about these people anymore. And I said that Black Lives Matter is a modern blackface where white liberals like, you people use the black identity to push your liberal agenda. Mm. <laughs> <It is> Emotional, <laughs> damn it. That, And then that, that's just kind of where I was at. And, and so I have had those moments over and over. You got to understand, like, when you go to, like, the Jane Hotel rooftop bar on Tuesday evenings where they go to hang out, when you go to the Norwood Club on Thursday evenings, like, I know all the spots. I'm giving away the secrets right here. Like, when you go to these spots, it's all, like, Democrat elites and, like, super rich art collectors. Like, we're talking New York City woke clown world and I just Heart could I, I couldn't deal with that shit anymore man. Yeah. So at that point I was like I don't really care what happens. Um but it but as this was going on, um it also taught me a really very important valuable lesson about like judgment cuz as this was all happening, I was like you know, I often think about why men don't stand up and speak for what's right. You know, when it could be good for their progeny. Like, why are they not speaking truth? And I realized right there, I'm like, this is why. Yeah. Because it's one thing to be like, it's one thing to be hated, Matt, but it's another to be hated and poor. Yeah. Right. So, so, so that's what I realized (laughs) right at, right at that moment, I was just like, I was like, you got to understand, like, if you're some guy who's like, oh, we're, we're learning about pronouns at my office, like, I don't want to do this. It's one thing for me to be like, okay, I'm not going to get into this, but then you think about your kid you have to pay for and bring groceries to, you're going to shut up. So I realized, okay, you know what? Not everyone can be, you know, I I call myself a crusader, right? For Christ. Like not everyone can have that crusader's temperament. Uh, I was born with that, obviously, but I realized right there, I'm like, this is the problem. We need to normalize free speech, you know, with civility, of course. And um, yeah, this is sort of why i have taken this stance now because- I've seen how deleterious the left can be, and I've seen them ventriculate into everything, including arts and entertainment. So you stood up and you said, this is bullshit.
0: I'm not playing this game anymore. But you were really popular until that point. You were yeah. hanging out. This is six all months after
1: I won artist of the year. Six like, like, after like the whole dinner party, they're like, this, I get this whole like plaque. Yeah, I have <laughs> the plaque. I still have the plaque in my office. Like I still have the, it on my wall just to say like there, it's there. Yeah, And it has this nice uh, uh, maroon wood decorated frame. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I can't work with anyone now. <laughs> when the
0: cancellation comes, how does that happen? Um, Is it trickle one at a time? Is it at once? I mean, what is that experience like getting canceled out of the heart of the art center of pretty much the world?
1: Yeah. Yeah. New York City for the U.S. is number one. I mean, you can argue Mexico City, Berlin, Tokyo, depending on it. Uh, Seoul is really good, too. But for U.S., it is New York City. Um, Yeah, man. Look, it's funny because I spoke to um, uh, Andrew Clavin about this. You know, we're neighbors. Mm. So we get dinner at Landini's and all this stuff. And um, Because he was a screenwriter, right? and he also got canceled and he goes when you got canceled like they just basically they all just talk to each other behind your back and ghost you right yeah. i'm like yeah so so you don't get a letter yeah. like like when these people like it's a small circle like they basically let each other know oh, arthur was a trump supporter we're not talking to this guy anymore oh no it's it's like i'm like i'm not a pedophile like 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 <laughs> it's great it's you know what i'm saying it's like, they treat you like a leper and yeah. and i was like wow this is the current state of affairs where you can't, you can't say that you want to fight for like family values. Mm. This is how much we've fallen from that wholesome tree. Like the ideal aesthetic for like, for a century in this country, that, that aesthetic was wholesome, right? That was the ideal. Wholesome was the ideal. Now it's like, it's just this lascivious degeneracy in New York city that we look at as like these high people you know and and they look down on these people who don't who aren't as like lost as them in a way um yeah yeah
0: you were you were their token asian that Tolkien was asian. you know that had this interesting art and all of a sudden they found out that you don't agree with what they have because from the beginning you said you were silent mm-hmm. you kind of played along fine yes that, that works for me, whatever, because as a starving artist, you just want to get your art out there. Yeah, 100%. At a certain point, can't take it anymore. This is bullshit. I'm going to say something. And as soon as they realized that you didn't fit their label, they ghost you. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like they actually believe what they believe? Or is it that because you don't fall into the narrative, their word themselves have also getting canceled that even though they believe you, or they agree with
1: you, they just don't want to be a part of it. What do you think it's more of? Um, that Very good. That's a big part of it, man. So so uh, I, they're not all bad people, mm. but it's like, it's so PC that I spoke to one of my uh, former dealer, Mark, um, and he just told me, Arthur, it's like, you're just too hot for us No, We just can't do it. With a tone of almost, being apologetic. Well, well I mean, he, like, like, like he's a, um, I can talk about him. He, he's a, he's a good guy. He, mm. he He's not, he's not like that woke. Like I would say he's like left leaning libertarian. If <laughs> I would say so. But, but he wasn't, he was cool. You know, we would, we would hang out together and he was, he was cool. He wasn't obstreperous about, oh, you can't, you can't say certain things. He wasn't language policing. Mm. Right. But, um, yeah, I would say, oh man. It's going to be blunt with you, man. Like the ones who were so vocal about we can't work with Arthur. They're all like post-wall fat woman. <laughs> I'm being honest. There's being, a stereotype. No, I'm just, I'm just being, I'm just there, being honest. There's you know? an archetype there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> seriously. It's, and, and, and you know what, it, you know what I call it? Let's get into that archetype. Cause this is actually, it's funny, but we're laughing cause there's uncomfortable truth in it. Yeah. Well, it's right. Yeah. And, and I, you know what, um, to go back to Jung, Jung calls this archetype, the archetype of the overprotective mother. Mm. So everybody knows about the abusive father, the high chair tyrant, you know, like there can be the benevolent good king, the wholesome king, right? That's, and then the shadow is the tyrant, right? Physically, literally hurting their family. Like that's a monster, right? Now everyone knows about the loving mother. Nobody talks about the overprotective mother which is just as evil. And the reason why I'm talking about this is I believe New York City or all this liberalism is possessed by this spirit. It's a feminized spirit. And like, like, you got to understand, I'm saying all this because everything we're talking about was 2020. This is all happening during the pandemic. Mm. This is happening when half the galleries were shut down. Right? That spirit, you got to understand. Okay, like, the vaccine mandates, the the passports, the masks, like that's all saying I'm doing this because I love you and I want to protect you. That's the overprotective mother. Like that's all that that's embodies exactly this energy. And the galleries have that as well. No, you can't talk about this because I care about your career, Arthur. Mm. You have to be, you know, you gotta be PC. You gotta you want everyone to like you. You know, it's like, well. I thought the whole point of being a large factor of being an artist was being a dissident in counterculture. And I believe in a way, now looking back, I'm very flattered this happened because when it was happening, it was very disconcerting. Cause I'm like, you know, what am I going to do? You know, um, this sucks. Like I, I, you know, I had a really huge studio. I got to pay this and I signed a lease for this. I'm, I'm just trying to figure all this out, navigating all this. And I'm like, I'm like, I feel um, that that starving, brokey artist vibe coming in <laughs> b- back into flex, where I just have to flex that girls rather than show them what I got. Yeah, I have yeah, to bring yeah. that back, <laughs> and, and, and and as that's coming in, I'm like, but you know what, man? I actually call my father because he's the wisest man I know, and uh, as this was going on, um, he says, "Notice that the images that you're painting as this is happening." Tells you a lot about the story. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you're painting Christian imagery. Right? And he said that if the devil is leaving you alone, you're either doing wrong or you're not public enough about what you believe in. And I was like, oh, that's deep shit right there. Yeah. So I realized right there, I'm like, this is a chance for me to break out and do my own thing. And to go to my sensei, my sensei used to always say in Korean, a setback is a setup for a comeback. You used to always just shout that every time we would get hurt. I mean, it's easier said than done, right? So, I, all of these things from my childhood that was from good men who, who were my mentors were kind of hitting my head. I'm like, okay, it's okay. I'll figure this out. Um, yeah. yeah I, I forgot what you asked me. <laughs> I get lost, you know, I get lost into a, no, into a tunnel vision. I mean, I think that's
0: part of being an artist, right? Is that you have your ideas, you scatter them, you figure out a way to channel them in, and the output is something beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're scrolling through some of your pictures here, and if you're not, um, if you don't have video and you're just listening in, uh, we'll leave a link to his website where you can get an idea of some of his artwork. It's amazing.
1: Oh, oh, by the way, this is at Rex Cigar Club in Alexandria. Dope spot. They acquired this one. But um, I, I just remember what we were talking about. So, so, so when, every time I think about this moment, like a friend brings it up just like this, brother. Every time I think about this moment, I actually feel a great sense of honor now. Because like, technically speaking, I was a dissident artist. I was being such an artist that I was pushing against the counterculture. In other words, I was being so unapologetic in who I am whilst making my art and moving people that I got kicked out. Mm. It's like a it's like um, a philosopher is only really in the major leagues if he gets killed, right? Mm. So, so in a way, I was like, in a way, this is a blessing because like G.K. Chesterton wrote in this book called Orthodoxy. He says there will come a point where literally everything will turn upside down, like clown world level like we're at now, and Orthodoxy will be the new counterculture. Because mm. the dominant narrative today is why people are all evil. Masculinity is bad. Gender is a social construct. God is not real. You know, <laughs> it's like it's, it's basically like that's the dominant narrative. And I'm literally with paint, with <laughs> art. You know, it, it, sometimes I'm like, why do you guys, like I'm not a, I don't have a radio show. Why are you guys like antagonizing me? But with my art, I'm speaking up for the opposite of that. So in a way, it's like that is a new counterculture. You
0: know what I'm saying? I mean, if you've never been canceled, you're not even trying.
1: Exactly. <laughs> it's almost a badge of honor. It, it's the new punk rock. Yeah. It's like instead of wearing a black leather jacket with those metal spikes and, and and then the older generation used to throw soda cans at their feet, the punk rock era, wear a MAGA hat. <laughs> You'll get the same treatment. Yeah. See what I'm getting at? It, Walking I mean, from the airport probably here. Probably worse. Uh, I, thought, I thought they wouldn't recognize this. Uh-huh. It's Donald Trump's signature, but I still got a whole bunch of these glares. Really? Yeah. And uh-huh. I was like, I I, I mean, I, I was hoping they wouldn't even recognize it. Yeah. Because I'm like, all right, I want to represent, but you know, like do it kind of in like a half-ass way because I'm not trying to fight. But um, I still got these little glares, man.
0: <laughs> and it's interesting because you are a Korean American. There is this idea that most Korean Americans are heavily democratic and liberal. Mm. But you obviously got a Donald Trump hoodie on. You are not. Mm-hmm. What do you think shaped that life view, and kind of your politics
1: around that? I mean, if it to me, it's like it's so obvious the evils of the left now. It's like you're basically living with blinders on if you're not going to be somebody on the right. I'm sorry to say that. Like, I, I shouldn't even just say on the right though, because like the right has their own problems. Yes, I agree. Like, and, and there's a lot of cringe there, mm-hmm. but um, you know, when I saw. When I saw Donald Trump, like, I'll tell you right now, my political position, it's heavily aesthetic. Now, this is something you might not ever hear, because usually when people try to justify their position, they do the spreadsheeting, the pie charts, they bring up data. I don't really, like, when Andrew Breitbart said politics is downstream from culture, I take that literally. I actually look at culture, and I believe the aesthetics of the participants tell you everything about the ideology. Mm. Go to an LGBTQ parade. Tells you everything. You don't need to talk to any of these motherfuckers. <sighs> They're saying, I am degenerate. Yeah. You see what I'm getting at? It's like, I don't need to even like give you one iota of br- my breath. So the way they present themselves is everything. The reason why I was for Trump is because I remember when they did this uh, Republican um, platform, all the candidates talking, and um, the host says, Listen, uh Mr uh, uh, Trump or Donald, whatever. Um, if you don't get this position, you know, are you going to uh, accept that and and succeed this way? And then he goes, well, if I would like to run as a Republican, but if I don't, I can run independently because I'm deeply connected. Mm. And I guess what I'm saying by saying this is that I voted for Trump mm. because of what Trump implied for the culture. He's a very he's an important uppercut. You know, we can't have this uh, erudite Ted Cruz constitutional Superman. Where the culture is now, we need somebody bombastic. Mm. And I guess the uncomfortable truth, often assholes get it done.
0: I agree. The Also, the problem is that if you have someone bombastic, you get someone and the other side to mimic that same energy back. And then now we're in this place, where we're in a culture of war, and... I mean, one would argue that we already are, that -hmm. we are in the midst of a culture war, that we are two societies fighting with one another. But is that really what's best? Do you feel like that's necessary?
1: Yes. Hmm. Yeah, kill them.
0: (laughs) Not literally. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. YouTube, uh, not I, I, literally, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, <laughs> fine, but 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 but, but figuratively, I, but,
1: but I would say so because look, uh-huh. you got to understand, like we can keep look the a bigger reason why I'm into Christianity. Let me make this very clear: It's it's connects to this topic. I believe conservatism is only a shield. Look at the way, look at the language. Christianity is actually the sword. Now, like like I was looking at Twitter, and during this. LGBTQ month, pride month. PIA plus. PIA plus. Klingon. During, <laughs> there, during this month, I noticed all the conservative figures, major influencers who are also trying to be savage. Like all the tweets are like, we don't care what you all do. Just leave Leave us out of that live. Christianity, the Christian influencer saying, you're all going to hell. Mm. <laughs> Very different. Defense, offense. To me, it's like, you can't really have actual conservatism without the cross, in my opinion, because what happens when you acknowledge the cross in this, in the equation is you you recognize it as a spiritual war. And I think this is a holy war. Mm. Like this is where I lose a lot of my people because my thing is like, I do think this is a holy war. I think globally too. I think all of this, like if you look at it even beyond the U S it's a war between Christianity, Judaism and Islam. Like, 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 in regards to scaling the the dissemination of values. Okay? Like, so, now going back to the, the U.S., you know, look at what all this evil that's being pushed out, man. Like, I, I mean, there's, there's literally, a, like, when I moved to Virginia, it's only been six months like I told you. I already heard about, like, this giant ordeal because there was, like, a drag queen study hour at this local library. And... Like the images, it literally looks like a satanic, <laughs> like like harpy, you know. And I'm like, why are kids being exposed to this, you know? And um, I'm just tired of like pretending like they are not on the offense. I guess. And I guess my point is that if you can't point out the enemy, then you're never gonna really get your objective done. And I understand. I hate to break this kumbaya moment, like I said, but but I also believe that. We cannot accept, we can't be gray about things like mass immigration Mm. or, um, you know, the proliferation of the welfare state or or abortion. Like we can't be gray about this stuff. And do you think it's a holy war
0: between religions or is it a holy war between religion
1: and non-religion? Um, well, well, first of all, if you look at the numbers, atheism is dead in the water. They have already lost. So this whole movement of Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens these these new intellectual atheist types that fad has died literally from Jordan Peterson, actually. Mm. Um, and it's simply for the fact that human beings are not satisfied with that world model. <laughs> it's as easy as that. That that impulse has made it so. Like I don't think it's. This is my opinion about the West. I think atheism is dead. Mm. I don't think there's any, no one really cares about that fight anymore. If you look at what people pay attention to, I think it's, I think atheism has passed its torch though. You know, when Nietzsche said God is dead, that started that, but I think atheism has passed its torch to feminism. I think feminism is currently the gynocentric religion of the West, it's a matriarchy. So I think in the West, Christianity has to kill feminism. That's my opinion, which means bringing back like a traditional theocracy and in the home at minimum. But um, the reason why I bring up these other religions, this is, again, this is an uncomfortable topic, but you look into the literature of it, these religions aren't the same. There's this pantheistic belief that all religions will get to the same place, and that universalism doesn't actually apply. Like, what the Talmud states versus what the Quran states and what the Bible states, in practice, they're very different worldviews. And, like, my, like, for example, there's a big... TradCon obsession with Islam right now because Tate converted to Islam, right, in the social media space. And the reason for that, and it makes sense, I understand it to a degree because they're looking at the masculinity, the, tr- the traditional values, how there's very clear gender roles and the families are together. And the diagnosis is correct. But Islam is never going to actually culturally assimilate to the individual sovereignty that we value in the United States. It just culturally won't happen. Right, so it's better if Christianity just kills that LGBTQ Protestantism branch of the church, <laughs> like, like in my opinion. So my point is that, like, when I talk about these religious, uh, this religious tension, I'm talking about it from the perspective of social cohesion. Mm. So I'm not like, um, like I, I, I'm a believer. I believe in Christ in my own life, but that said, I also look at it from a bird's-eye view. What is going to keep the country in its moral position?
0: Because if, you, if one would think that it's a holy war, then I can see why you would think that it's Christianity versus Islam versus Judaism versus other. If you think it's a social war, then a lot of the religions, although their exact beliefs may be different, their social ideology and values are very similar. Is it one of those where the enemy of the enemy is my friend?
1: They're, they're okay, what I will say is all of this is under the Holy war. Mm. so there's political discourse, there's Ben Shapiro doing poning videos of all this like all this is under the main umbrella blanket of a holy war. Um, look, what I would say is that I would be I would accept a collaboration of Christians and Islam, Islam and Muslims coming together to destroy the radical left. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. And then we can sit on the table in good faith as long as they don't exercise takia, And we look at the red text in the Bible, then they'll recognize that Christ is actually the prophet, not just another prophet. I'm okay with that. But...
0: A lot of, of asterisk and stipulations there. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, mean, I,
1: mean, I mean, I'm not... I mean, you know, takia is a part of Islam, by the way, where they say you're allowed to bend the truth to convince others of a higher moral superiority. That's in the text. Like my my father brought me up like understanding religion deeply. Mm. So when I talk like the reason why I'm obsessed with uh, religious imagery is because I was brought up to understand that this is this is galactic stuff. Like it's not just like like um, little little fairy tales. Like oh Jonah and the whale. Yeah, you know got to be nice to your parents. No, like this determines where the world goes. (laughs) You know, yeah. When you go back to doing art
0: you're still doing art, but now you're kind of on this, trying to get your name back out there. You don't, can't rely on the dealers to do this for you any longer. And again, we're going through the imagery. If you want to check out the imagery, you can definitely go check it out. We'll leave the link to the website below. Your art has a definite style. You mentioned already a lot of Christian images, imagery that goes in. Do you think that's where you're going to keep on going forward? Is that where you wanna be? Or where do you think the evolution of your art is knowing what you know now and having gone through what you've been through? Um,
1: so every good artist, the first cardinal rule is you go where the art takes you. Mm. So right now where I am at with my evolution of my paintings, it's very Christian. I'm working on a biblical series. Literally the works we've been looking at is Adam and Eve, The Tower of Babel, Christ Pantocrator all these iconic images in Christian canon history but um I don't pigeonhole myself you know if if I find myself wanting to you know paint in a more semi-abstracted manner then then if that's where my art takes me then that's where I'll go but um currently I I have a heavy possession hmm. in regards to revitalizing Christian imagery because like, again, keep in mind, I studied art history before I even decided to fully become a painter uh, during my undergrad. And when you study art history, Matt, you cannot deny that all the greatest masterpieces were undergirded by religious subject matter. Mm. They're always produced by Christians. There's a reason for that. And, you know, when you look at the world before, the Enlightenment and the postmodern climate, like beauty was something that was incredibly important in a culture.
0: Why do you think that Christian rooted art is more popular, and more well known than maybe more Eastern art, which doesn't have as much Christian influence in it? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a little more, maybe a little more popular in, say, China or in Korea or in Japan, because they have their own localized art, but it's not as global. Mm -hmm. why do you think that
1: is Uh, i mean first part is the uh the patronage Mm. you know um the greatest work is always produced this is a circumstantial reason by the way under like very patriarchal societies because the funding is there
2: Mm. always about money
1: that's a big part like like you cannot say michelangelo without medici Right? The Medici family literally funded all his projects so he can just hire like the best top art students to, to, to create his vision. You can't do that without money. Um, and they have a little bit of a say on what gets produced. 100%. Yeah.
0: Uh, Someone's gonna say, I'm gonna pay you X amount of dollars to
1: make a painting and you're a starring <laughs> artist. You're like, all right, like, what do you want me to paint? What, w- w- <laughs> whatever you want, Daddy. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that's, that's the first part of it. But I will say that but the actual philosophical literature of the time that art is being produced, there's also church fathers writing. Mm. So there's philosophy being stacked up with the visuals. Like these are incredibly meticulous. And when you read the church fathers, like St. Thomas Aquinas is the most obvious one. It's very obvious that when you look at our, our, the ancients, those who came before us, again, like I said, beauty was really important. Like this notion of beauty and reverence that was the purpose of the artist. So artists, like, I like I call myself a spiritual servant. Like, I'm a servant. I have a mission, and I'm here to serve, right? So there's nobility there. But that is kind of my role because I am living in that old framework. And I say all this because I think modern culture, Matt, when you think of, like, you know, you, you think of the word beauty, I think most men today, they get it confused with hotness, mm. Right. Hot or not. Yeah. So if I say, if I say the word beauty and there's some like a couple average O's here, the the first thing that will come to their mind is like, how do I rank the opposite sex on a one to 10 rating scale? Mm. Right. But that's not beauty. Beauty, when you read the etymology of beauty and what beauty actually meant before it's been modernized, beauty was more close to the sacred. So that's something that we've lost touch with. And we live in such an irreverent time. We don't understand like things are sacred. And art is supposed to point upwards and say, this is sacred. And that's why Christian art was so like powerful because they recognize like this is what art, the creative classes utilize to point spiritually upwards. That's why they succeeded. They were in line philosophically to actually have the context to use their formalistic skills proper.
0: When, um, When we agreed for you to come down here and record this episode, I was a little bit nervous because you're an artist and I've met and dealt with different artists in my life in the past. And typically, like we start talked about in the beginning, they're a little bit eccentric and they're a little bit out there. You are extremely well-spoken, extremely well-learned, extremely well-read. You understand history, you understand religion. And I'm almost shocked and awed by the level of knowledge that you have. I'm almost humbled by the amount of knowledge that you have. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Where do you get that from? Because again, every other artist I've ever met in my life, and I've met a handful, not a huge amount, but a handful, they've always been kind of a certain way. But you're nothing like them. You're so much more philosophical than they are. And it's, it's different. Hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, most of the New York artists that a lot of a lot of my peers when I was in New York City, uh, they just went to party. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, for example, I I have no shame saying this. Like I've always I've said this on other shows, like I've always abstained from hookup culture. I have I'm proudly low body count. Mm. Like I'm somebody who like I'm against all of that, you know, Um, I've always been like this creative monk Mm. sort of, you know, so I think it's. For me, the word that comes to mind when you ask me that question, because it's discipline. And that discipline, man, you know what? It's the power of an active father. Mm. I don't think people understand, like, it's like borderline magic. You know, of course you're going to be there for your kid. Of course you love your kid. I don't think people understand that by doing that, you are literally setting up, like, Oh, like, like all the train tracks for their future like you're imprinting their brain so that they can develop in a way that's honorable just by being in their lives and I say this because it's yes it's odd it's atypical for an artist to be this way because we socially allowed uh, we've accepted that creative people get to be degenerate in a way but um, my family would not even talk to me <laughs> if I was degenerate right yeah. so my love of art is not gonna overprioritize my family Mm-hmm. You see what I'm getting at? Like, that's just not going to happen. Um, but um, I, I, I say this because whenever I see very disciplined people across all mediums, and again, I used to be a fighter. I put down the sword. I picked up the brush. Cool. But I also know people across all these different mediums because like the creative community and I, were still tapped in. The ones who are like this, they all have an honorable sense with their father. I'm telling you, because I've had these deep discussions with these people. And that's kind of what it boils down to. I've noticed that root. Um, That's what it is for me, too. So I can say that much.
0: And thinking about the future, because I think if if you're listening to this podcast, if you're watching this podcast and you've made it this far, it means they have a genuine interest in your life and your success, because we are over an hour in and people are still here. So Mm. thank you, everyone, for sticking around what are you going to do next? And how do you plan on, because you're an artist, you need to monetize, you need to make money. And this is not something that we typically talk about when we bring different guests on, because I don't want to plug them and support them. Mm. But for an artist, this is the only way to support. (laughs) Great great art requires patronage. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Great art requires patronage. What is your plan? And how do you envision yourself moving forward without the support of dealers?
1: So, so Matt, like I told you, the traditional ABC and that pyramid that I use as mm. a as a compass is the artist will get to a point where they get to that top point, and you can go through the traditional route of finding patrons. Um, You're on a lonely island, my friend. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> totally, I'm, I'm solo. I'm, I'm, I am the only artist who's trying to trying to do what's right with my brush, I guess, you know? Um, so my route has been to study people that I admire. And I notice a lot of people I admire outside of the art world. Cause I don't really have other peers like this. I'm a weirdo. Um, they, do we like, all are. Yeah. That's the way to go. Um, they do like a collective patronage sort of thing. So that's where I'm thinking of modeling this. And that's one model that I'm planning out right now. Um, I'm gonna call my supporters the Crusaders. Mm. Again, I told you when people say, "Are you a Christian?" I say, "I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Crusader because I'm fighting in the culture." Uh, so, th- so I'm gonna, I'm gonna create my own community of Crusaders, but also um, my social media, my Instagram, which is like one hundredth of yours, brother. <laughs> that's also, that's also a, another new domain for me. Um, it's funny, man, because you just made me think of this. How I thought about this on the Uber here. Mm. I was like in a way, having this success in the gallery world, Artist of the Year, White Hot Magazine, all this thing, Art Verge, like, it actually hurt me mm. because it's like, you know, the saying that spoiling your child is a sophisticated version of child abuse because mm. it sheltered me from developing the necessary understanding of marketing, uh, sales, and because I was, I had, I had, you know, people holding my hand, basically. I just go into the studio, that we got you covered, great, easy mode, comfort kills kind of that drive to become stronger, and boom, castigated, uh, you know, castigated here. So now I'm picking up the pieces, and I'm like, I gotta figure this out. So this is where I'm at, and um,
0: I think this is the know. best thing that could have happened to you. I truly believe that people who make early success in life will have the hardest future the people who fail in the beginning and go through problems, tribulations, cancellations. These are the ones that learn from it, grow from it, grow stronger from it, and have long-term future success. Hmm. So I think this is all positive for you. I know that some of it may not feel like it. Sometimes when you get a taste of a little bit of money and then it kind of goes away, it's a little hard. <laughs> right? It stings a little bit. Sure. You know, going from prime steak to like choice steak sucks.
1: Yeah, I like choice (laughs) steak too. You know, I'm easy, I'm an easy date.
0: (laughs) But I think this is really what builds men that you have to go through hardship. And when people, you know, when I see someone that becomes really rich and has their first business blow up in their early 20s, I'm like, this guy's not going to make it. There's 100% chance that he's going to fail later because Mm -hmm. it came too easy. You don't know what the hard work means, you don't know what It's not just saying I'm disciplined, but what real discipline means. Getting off your ass in the morning and getting it done regardless of how you feel. These are things that you don't learn if you're too successful. These are things you have to figure out on your own. So I think through your story, through your um, struggles, and through kind of this whole wave of cancellation, I think this is all positive for you, friend. I think if people want to find you, they will find you. I really, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I really like the idea of maybe start live streaming your painting. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I'm I'm that seed is planted. I have to first make sure um Instagram uh unbans <laughs> me cuz I'm like I'm I guys, I'm the opposite of Matt. Okay? So Matt is blowing up. I'm like I have like so many community guidelines strikes. I think they they sent me a message saying that only a tenth of your audience will see uh, your content. Yeah. They sent me that. I'm like, "Oh, wow." So I I'm I'm just, you know, it's like um I speak my mind and I'm the kind of person who's very transparent about I'm figuring it out as I go. You know, I'm not going to act like I know everything. Of course. Um, but I share very openly and you know, it's, it's just, I guess that is the open side of my artistic temperament. But, um, yeah, so I got to I like that idea. I got to first, uh, it's funny, they have like trials or something. It's like, I remember when I said, hey, um, I lost a lot of this, these options on Instagram. Like what's going on? And he said, well, you're up for the next, like maybe getting that alleviated in another 30 days. I'm like, okay, but what about these other eight things that I need? They're like, oh, we'll, we'll let you know. I'm like, wow. But hey, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy, I guess. <laughs> um, that's interesting because, yeah,
0: yeah. you know, some people, if the strikes come, if the... The shadow bank comes. Some people reach out to Instagram, and be like, "Hey, what's wrong?" Me, I'm like, "I have." Oh. And me, I'm like, "All right, I'm just gonna. I'm not. I don't even ask. It is what it is, you know. I don't want. Oh man, if I ask, I'm worried that it bring, brings more attention to me, and all right. of a sudden, I get more strikes for asking.
1: So I'm just like, "Hey." Yeah, that gonna, that's 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 a that's a
0: good point. I don't know. I yeah. don't know how that works. You know, maybe it's like, "Hey, I'm complaining," or I'm trying to point out something in an injustice, and while bringing up. Pointing out the injustice, I get served more injustice. I don't
1: know. Huh. No, no. But you know what? There's, there's a, <laughs> a, there's a saying. It's from the Orient. It's an old Asian saying. It might be Korean, but it's like you cannot calm a bowl of water with your hand. Hmm. You have to let it wait and be still. Hmm. Um, I like I, that. I've been punching this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. also because I don't hold back. Like, they they're like, hey, you can't say this about. Transsexuals, you can't say this about the vaccine. You cannot say this about women. You can't call them whores. You can't do all this stuff. Yeah. You can't. You can't talk about. Uh, and, and I'm just like, all right, well, I'm gonna keep talking about it. Yeah, and it's
0: it's um slippery okay. slope because we we had this conversation off camera, but Instagram is where the most people are, and if you want exposure, if you want to get your message out there, that's kind of where you want to be. At the same time, it's also heavily censored. Mm -hmm. You can't really say exactly what's your mind. And you have to play their game a little bit. And it sucks. That's what I've come to learn. It's just reality. But it's their platform. It's a private platform. They've made the rules. And if you want to play their game, you kind of have to do the dance. And it sucks. It sucks that you have to do it. I wish that we could be just unapologetically 100% true to ourselves at all times. That would be amazing. Yeah. And maybe one day we'll get there. But while we fight this fight, while we are part of this war, we have to adhere to certain guidelines because they are much bigger than we are. Mm -hmm. Trojan horse. Yes. We Even if we gathered all of us that believe what we do, we're just a mere annoyance to them because there's so much money, so much power, so many people on the other side. They'll just flick us away. Yeah. We have to be patient. We have to bide our moment, you know. And at the moment when the attack is necessary, that's when you build. You can't go knocking on their door and saying, "Hey, I'm here to attack you." They're like, right. "Okay,
1: go away." Yeah,
0: you gotta be patient. And I think that's what I've learned over the last is that I want to scream from the top of the rooftop, <clears throat> say, "This is bullshit! Yeah. Burn this motherfucker down!" Mm-hmm. But there's a time for that, and I don't yeah. think we're ready yet.
1: I don't know. What do you think? Um, it's different. No, 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 no. That's um, that's wisdom, my friend. Mm. Because there's nuance to there's different ways to conquer an enemy, mm. right? And it, this is playing the long haul. Um, yeah, this is this. You know, this is, you're, I told you you're my OG, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just can't shut up. Yeah, I know, I know. And I think <laughs> I'm a free speech advocate forever. And I,
0: I agree 100%. Mm-hmm.
1: But, but I hear your point. The deck
0: I has do. been laid. Yes, yes. The, the chessboard is out there and we need to move within the confines of the rules that are there. And we need to win even knowing that it's not in our favor. We start with one less piece. We start down three points. We start whatever it is. But we need to figure out how to win regardless of the situation that's laid out to us. And if you start in a deficit, it just means you need to be a little more tactful to catch up. That's what I think, at least. Agreed. Well, if you want to find Arthur, we will link all of the stuff below. Definitely go check out his artwork. It's amazing. Oh, and by the way, I asked you if we could work on a painting or a drawing for me.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Which I would like to do.
1: T-shirt time. <laughs> yeah, maybe make a t-shirt <laughs> maybe, of it. Yeah. Um,
0: I asked, Arthur, there is a house, and I guess we'll close on this. There's a house in New Jersey that I grew up in. And in this house, there was a ledge outside of a window. And I grew up sitting on that ledge listening to talk radio. My parents probably have no idea I did this. And every night i would climb out this window. And if you see the ledge, it's kind of high up there. i would climb out this window and all night long, I would watch the debauchery in the basketball street filled with glass while I listened to whatever I could find on the radio. That's how I spent probably six, seven years of my life. Probably why I like this format probably why I like long form content. I would love a painting from that. Maybe we'll talk about it, maybe something yeah. to inspire you from. And uh, if we can figure that out, amazing and we'll
1: put that out later. And um I mean that that just felt nostalgic hearing that, right? Yeah. Um but this is what I do, you know. So like I was telling you earlier, tell me everything that's important to you. Mm-hmm. And I'll make it a jewel for your home. That's what I do, brother.
0: <laughs> Arthur, thank yeah. you very much. And oh, um, if you have any questions, leave them in the comments. We'll go through them together. And again, definitely go follow Arthur Kwan Lee. He's on Instagram. He's on Twitter. On YouTube.
1: Uh, maybe I mean, one day. N- n- not really, but 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 go to my website if you want to support. You know, like monthly patronage kind of thing that can that can feed this fire. Yeah, Crusaders. Awesome. Thank you, Arthur. Thank you, everyone. Price is king. (laughs) Have a good day, everybody.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Bro, you are fucking smart. Oh, thank you.
1: I wanted to talk to you.
2: Dude, you are...